Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Cookie Quarantine. I'm Seamus Campbell. Uh, I'm joined today by Rebecca Pinn. Uh, ben is going to be joining us in a little bit. Uh, he has some family commitments, but welcome back to the show, Rebecca. How's it going? Oh, you know, living the dream. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, I know I'm doing well. Just, uh, you know, my state party. It's just, it's just got problems. <laughs> Well, that's what you were on here last time to talk about. So how about you give us an update on what's been going on? So I don't remember exactly what we talked about last time, but I assume it was that our previous leadership got reelected. And I said that in the, the podcast. Um, it was, I think, just lead, the weekend before that. Actually. Okay, so I can, I I can talk about the leading up to that. So yeah. um, there we had the meeting in November where we, where we had a leadership election and specifically just the chair's race. Um, our previous chair, who I went into that whole thing about the scandal involving Congressional District 1, was reelected. Um, I posted on Facebook some what I found very interesting statistics regarding the voting breakdown. Um, I should also note I was immediately accused of ageism when I broke that down. Um, but over 85% of members under 36 were voting for new leadership. And over 90, I think it was around 93% of our lifetime members. So the members who are um, basically, they've been on the committee for 20 years and as a result are now considered lifetime members and don't have to run again for a reelection, voted for the, voted for Gus again. So there was some, you know, there was also some interesting breakdowns regarding LGBT, LGBTQ members and um, people, members who are people of color. Um, but needless to say, it's been very tense. Um, you know, so, you know, it's been pretty quiet. There was a report that the rules subcommittee met on regarding our Gus, Veronica, and Jim. What's, you know, are they quote unquote guilty in this? Um, and so it all came to a head on Thursday night when uh, we had our first meeting since the chair's race. And I should preface by saying two hours prior to that meeting, we received the rules subcommittee report. So the entire body, which is around 430 people, which is the second largest state committee, had two hours, had less, you know, around two hours to read the rules subcommittee report. Um, so that's always fun when you're given no notice on what's going on. <laughs> and I'm guessing you did have a chance to read it or not. I, I did. And, and to be honest, like I, I can go into kind of some of the, the things that happened regarding it, but I think what a lot of people are missing is there's a, you know, we're getting, I think this happens in YDA sometimes and I've commented on it. We get so bogged down in rules and procedure that we miss the bigger picture of what's going on, which is who cares, like regardless of infighting, regardless if someone is in a, you know, guilty or not guilty or whatever it may be, we're missing the bigger fact that there is the optics of what happened and we need to respond to those optics. We need to make sure people wanna be part of our party. We need to make sure that people wanna engage in our party. And when we get so bogged down in semantics or if someone really broke the rules or didn't, we're losing sight of the fact that even if someone's cleared, there's still bigger issues. But then on top of that at the meeting, um, you know, there was a lot that uh, people were speaking up on, on their own behalf of how they felt and the reactions from people, I think probably said more than, the, the reactions from people said a lot that I, I think they don't really understand what they said and how bad those optics are. And again, I was accused of ageism when I pointed out those optics. Um, but I'm happy to kind of go through high level what happened at that meeting. And as we speak, someone is currently trolling my Facebook page, which is always fun. Um, so, 
Well, we're not above uh, counter trolling them, so if you wanted to like <laughs> name drop them, go right ahead. You know. I mean, it's it's gonna be pretty. Cl- I mean, if someone checked out my feed, they'd see like who's doing it. So I don't need to point out. But um, so we had the meeting, um, and immediately, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of the right level because you know I I want to vent, but I also don't want to bore people too much. But initially, it even it, it started immediately with even some contentious stuff where people were like, where someone proposed that we move anything talking about the report and the findings of it, anything regarding the rules subcommittee to a separate meeting two weeks later, basically saying, we need more time to talk about this. We need more time to look at this. We need more time to think about this and how we want to proceed. Um, the counter, and basically, you know, the fear being that if we have it all happen at this one meeting, it will get buried. And people are, you know, it's 7 p.m. meeting. The meeting went on for four and a half hours and we never even finished our agenda. We halfway through reports, someone said we have to adjourn. So it's a, it's a, an, un, not an unfounded fear because people can just, you know, call an adjournment at any time. Um, so that was immediately started as contentious. Um, Ed Markey spoke, which is always amazing. And he was great. Um, and then, <laughs> so that was like a very, that was a really fun highlight of the meeting and he spoke and he was wonderful. Um, and then we really got into it around, um, you know, what was going on, what people are doing. Uh, Gus gave opening remarks, and, and I want to say that I think Gus, when it when it came to running the meeting, did a, a good job of staying very calm. You know, he took feedback that people gave him. He did some things I don't agree with in terms of just we just have a different style. But um, I I recognize it was a very tense meeting, and to remain very calm, you know, I've been to YDA meetings. It's really hard to remain calm and neutral when accusations are being made about you or things like that um so he and then you know he took feedback that you know people don't want things to immediately be voted on or you know called a question to have it immediately move because people feel like they're being silenced so I think the crux of what really happened was people don't know Robert's rules and it's complicated it's hard to know it and one of our new members and we've given no training on it by the way so you know it's something we talk about in YDA a lot, how we don't have Robert's rules training. And that's why we always preface with not everyone knows Robert's rules. So we need to be patient and make sure everyone feels heard. Um, so there's this funny thing going on in the meetings where people say, you need to know the rules. You need to know Robert's rules to participate. And then no one follows them. <laughs> I'm giving a slow clap right now, which I, I knew what you were about to say, but still just hearing it because <laughs> I can tell you Brooklyn Democratic Party, we've had that same issue where with Robert's rules and people just not knowing it. We, and, and I honestly, I honestly feel your pain with a four hour meeting because I had a county committee meeting that went over the course of two meetings, uh, grand total of 26 hours long. And who has that kind of time? Like it, it's- Unfortunately, it's, somehow I do. <laughs> so what ended up, I'm trying to, I, I don't remember the exact exchange, but basically, um, one of our younger members, he's definitely new, he's a young black man, said, you saying, you know, you throwing the rules at me when I don't know them and I'm asking about them is a form of white supremacy. It's a form of suppression. You're basically saying I can't talk because I don't know something and no one's like, ultimately no one's telling him how to do it either. So it, you know, regardless of the racial implication, it's also just a form of oppression. It's a form of silencing someone saying you can't participate because you don't know the rules. And then no one told him the rules and no one gave him the time to teach him the rule. I mean, it's just on so many levels, really understandable. People feel silenced. Um, You know, we have it at the YDA meetings. People feel silenced. They don't know Robert's rules. We we really do try to make an effort so people feel like they can talk. Um, So he brought it up. 
Um, keep in mind, this is Massachusetts. It's a majority white body. Um, so when, you know, it's all on Zoom. Um, and so people had very, I think, like, just really disgusting reactions to what he had to say. They, they didn't, you know, it's our place as white people to be like sitting back and listening and internalizing what someone's telling us. So it was just really disappointing. Like just to see that the reaction people had, it was just very disappointing. So, you know, um, I think one of the things about Zoom that's been really illuminating to me is that it's made our meetings extremely accessible and extremely transparent. Anyone on YouTube can watch our meetings now. And uh, previously, you know, they'd be held all in different, different congressional districts in Massachusetts, which means you'd have to like maybe drive to Western Mass if you live in Boston or, you know, go up to nor the North Shore. Um, I'm saying this as a Boston centric person, which I'm sure I'm going to get yelled at by someone who lives in Western Mass. But anyway, <laughs> so, um, you know, it made it's Zoom has made it very accessible to see these meetings. The other thing that I find really strange is that if you don't have a poker face, just shut off your camera. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand why. Like, it's really easy to just not show your face. Like I had, I was like cuddling with my cat most of the night. So I had my camera off. I don't think anyone needs to see that. But anyway, so people are having these very- I'll be honest, what I do, because and I've done this at YDA meetings, I will wear my one of my face masks because I will find myself yelling at a computer and people can probably lip read. But if I'm wearing a mask, they can't see it. <laughs> so I, I think there's just, so I think what's been great about Zoom is one more people can attend. So we had like over Absolutely. 300 people to attend, which is fantastic. Um, and it's also allowed more people to watch. We've had reporters watch our meetings now and see what goes on. We've had people who are not members of the DSC be like, wow, this is what's going on. And um, that was just one incident. Um, there's one guy who he just like kept interrupting. He's just a miserable person. Uh, from what I gather, he had a French-speaking seat and didn't speak a, link, a lick of French. Um, but regardless, he, he was later censured in the meeting. But anyway, you know, this, this man is, you know, this young Black man is speaking out on behalf of himself. And for many other people, his friends were thanking him and, and saying, like, thank you for speaking up and saying this. And, you know, this majority white body is saying, you're rude and, you know, giving him a thumbs down. It's like, the thing I don't understand is that this is, first of all, aside from all being public, you know, being very public, you know, again, the optics of this are just horrible. This is like, again, I was accused of ageism by pointing out like the optics of an older white man giving a thumbs down to a young, younger black man um, pointing out systemic racism. I'm like, that's just a fact. Like that optically looks really bad. <laughs> I don't understand how that's like a, how that's ageism. If, if it is, someone please enlighten me on how it is, but it, it's pointing out some really bad optics our party has. So that was one, in, that was just one incident and that happened. My, just like being an outsider listening in, like I would say the good, the smart move would have been for your chair to say to this young man, uh, you know, if you have questions about these things, what you do is a motion or a point of parliamentary inquiry, because the role of a chair in many ways is really to call on people and also be able to answer questions so everyone is on the same page as things are going on. Well, I have like my own little thesis at the end about this, but I think <laughs> the role of a chair is also leadership. Like a Absolutely. huge part of leadership is telling people you like telling this body that your our younger constituents, our younger people are saying something and we need to listen. 
Like this is where, le where leadership, leadership can't be neutral all the time. Leadership needs to step in and maybe take an unpopular opinion to some of the body, especially the, to be frank, the, the group that voted him back in mm -hmm. needs to step up and say like, we need to be listening to this group of people. They like, whether you like me or not, I'm a young Democrat who is the future of the party. And the irony is, I can tell you this later, but like people are like, she's trying to destroy the party. I'm like, if anyone knows me, I'm like a very hardline Democrat. <laughs> like, I, like I'm very much like, we need to support the party. They need to support the party. I get angry when people like go independent and then like are trying to be like outside the party. Um, you know, I, I think it's the role of leadership to say, we have all these generations here. We need to bridge this divide and we can't be stubborn. We need to yeah. work together. Well, I was just more talking in terms of just Meet, running a meeting of course but yeah there is more much more to leadership than just running a meeting there is also being able to tell your own people sometimes shut up and listen yeah basically yeah and so he i mean again i think gus did a, a pretty good job of, of mm -hmm. remaining calm answering those questions that were needed um and then we got to the report um which you know, it was a really, it was basically this, the rules subcommittee cleared everyone involved. It cleared Gus, it cleared Jim, it cleared Veronica. And I'm sort of like, okay, whatever, it is what it is. We need to keep moving forward. Um, but the really interesting discussion was people, like when I say keep moving forward, it's like, okay, they're cleared. That doesn't really mean anything. Like who cares if someone's cleared? The optics of this whole thing were terrible and people brought up. And so one person was like, well, they're cleared. So it's over. And I'm like, that's not how this works. That's not how people feel. There's, you know, a lot of members of the LGBTQ community who feel like they've been really let down and abandoned by the party. There are a lot of young Democrats. Um, again, this person who's trolling my Facebook page doesn't seem to understand that like when you keep blaming this whole thing on young people, when young people went to the party asking for help and support, it's really not a good look. Like it, it, it's basically the, they went, yeah, they, they even owned up to the fact that they made mistakes, but they're saying we went to the party to help us. And this turned into a total clusterfuck. Like the party was supposed to be there to help us. They, I was talking to a few of them. They're like, we went to the adults. We went to the adults in the room asking them to help us out. So anyway, during that whole conversation, a lot of people, you know, there was a group of people who were like, all right, so they're cleared. So it's over and done. And then there, there was a really interesting I think turn when, I don't know if turn's the right word, but people who I, I don't personally know very well, but people who made some really interesting comments where they're like, you know, I remember one woman specifically said, you know, first one person was hurt. And then I heard another person was hurt. And then I heard all these people being hurt. People are really hurt by this. What are we going to do as a party? And I feel like, I don't even know if she realized it, but she really got to the crux of what I was, what I'm trying to say, which is, it doesn't matter if Gus broke her rules or didn't break the rules. What matters is the fact that people are really upset by this and we haven't done anything. Like collectively as a party, we just haven't done anything. There's been no formal apology. There's been like, Gus gave a pretty shitty apology, uh, to be honest. He said, you know, I, I must, I'm sorry for what may have occurred. I'm like, oh my God, this is just not a good apology. Um, because <laughs> just like, I know what you're trying to do. Robert's rules trainings, like people, we should give trainings on how to give an apology. <laughs> and, and then it just wasn't, it wasn't his finest moment. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, and then basically people are like, we should move on. This is, this is a subcommittee readout. There's, there's nothing we're voting on. We're just saying what we came to, what conclusions we came to and that's it. And people are like, great, let's move on. 
And then people are like, you know, another person who I'm friendly with on the, on the DSC who runs her ward committee or her town committee said, I'm having trouble recruiting people. Like I'm getting, I'm in trouble with outreach because people don't trust our party. And this, this group, unfortunately, is not understanding that youth that, you know, I think they like this majority that is really angry with the quote unquote progressives who are accusing us of destroying the party. Like we're trying to save it. We're saying that we're having trouble recruiting. We're having trouble with people wanting to join this party. And when I say join, it's not just register as Democrats because we're a state with open prime. We're not like New York. We're a state with open primaries. You don't have to be a registered Democrat to vote in the Democratic Party, but like donate money. Like there's a lot of down, like there's a lot of implications when people are just not interested in engaging with the party if they think it's either insular or corrupt or just a garden club. Like they're just, they just have no interest in being part of it. So that conversation went on. It got very heated back and forth. Um, and then, um, to be honest, there probably were other things that happened. I was getting really tired and it was, it was a weeknight. <laughs> it was all <laughs> happening on a Thursday night. Um, and then during the affirmative action outreach committee meeting, someone and you know, this, this wonderful woman named Linda, who's the, one of the co-chairs of the subcommittee was, was giving her report and someone gave the finger during her giving the report. Like the more, Jesus. the more times going on, you know, people have access to this video, the zoom video. And they're like, all these like really disgusting behaviors are coming out. And, um, you know, shortly after that, the meeting, someone adjourned the meeting and people were really pissed about it. Oh, well, actually, to get back, the Affirmative Action Outreach Committee gave the report. Um, obviously, a very disgusting behavior happened on camera. Again, you can always turn off your video on Zoom, which most people yeah. do. <laughs> um, and then after that, we tried to send, we sent, we tried to censure someone who was very rude and kept interrupting. And then, um, who wasn't, he wasn't even close to following Robert's rules. Like, you know, for the, for the younger man I said earlier, who was calling out the systemic issues in our part, the systemic racist issues in our party, he kept saying point of information, um, you know, point of personal privilege, um, whether or not, quite frankly, he was abusing those, he was still, you know, trying to learn the rules. But this other, this other person who we, we got, we were trying to censure, like, wasn't even close to following them. Um, he also is the same guy who supported Charlie Baker in the previous meeting on the Zoom video, who is, for those who don't know, our Republican governor. So, and then he said in the, so let me, let me give you the timeline of this. November meeting, Charlie Baker's doing a great job. Um, January meeting, he says, our job is to elect Democrats. And it's like, you are an idiot. <laughs> so you're praising a Republican governor in one video and then saying our job is to elect Democrats when you, you can't even fulfill like the basic check mark on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> Fail. Hey, Ben. <laughs> ben, there's me. Mm -hmm. Hi, listeners. Uh, I am late because we all kept having random time conflicts and this was the only way to make it work. I'm sure they've already explained it, but now you get to hear it in my deep, soothing voice. <laughs> so there's nothing so no, there's nothing soothing about your voice. You, yes, there is. Um, well, you're, you're unfortunately at the end of the meeting, but to make you feel better, there's a lot of fallout that happened after. So I assumed <laughs> that the fallout was really what was going to be exciting from this, the way you've been sort of talking to us about it. Well, it's... I think it's funny to, well, so then the meeting was adjourned. So just to give you the high level, um, someone pointed out that 
the way that we're running their meetings, there's a lot of systemic racism of how things are run. And a lot of white people got upset and did not react particularly well, I feel, when they should have really been taking a step back and listening. Um, people seem to miss the point that it doesn't matter whether or not Gus, Veronica, and Jim were cleared or not cleared. We have an optics problem in our party, and they have seems like the body doesn't understand that we need to fix this problem and there have been no solutions, very few solutions offered. Um, and the last one was that someone gave the finger to the camera when the affirmative action outreach to the committee chair was giving her report. So really great optics all around during that meeting. And then after that, uh, we tried to censure someone and there was some weird Robert's Rules things going on, which I don't know, I'm not a, I am not, um, uh, people know me, I, I know Robert's rules to a very slim degree, but I usually need a lot of help and I'm more than, I'm more than happy to say, hey, I need help with this. Um, there was something weird about the censuring on that one. Um, and then someone adjourned the meeting. So we didn't even finish our agenda. <laughs> so, so all happening on a Thursday night took four and a half hours. Um, so that was fun, really fun. So. <laughs> uh, we had... A lot, obviously coming into this late and, you know, obviously we've had some other discussions about the fun little bits of dysfunction that you guys have been having in your state committee before this recording. Our last in-person meeting with the state central committee for, for the Kansas Dems, it wasn't quite as dramatic, but yeah, I mean, we definitely had some issues with like African-American members of our state committee getting up and explaining to the chair that they felt like the party and its leadership had been dismissive of African-American voices themselves and just getting no response besides, hey, come talk to me about this when there aren't 200 people in the room and maybe I'll start a committee to investigate it or bullshit like that. Um, I, I have a feeling that while yours is probably a bit louder, it's the same sort of attitude that, uh, that caused that problem. And one thing I really appreciated was someone pointed out, like, people were like, we don't, I think it was sort of this like weird thing of like, we don't want to talk about this on the Zoom. We don't want to talk about it. And someone, I forgot who said, just because you don't want to talk about it doesn't mean we shouldn't. And just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't be having this conversation. You know, it, you know, you just, you, I mean, our role is to listen. Like if you're in a place of privilege, your role is to sit back and listen and figure out how do we change this and how can I support you in changing this? And how can I be a part of that change? It's not that hard. <laughs> it's, and it's weird to me that it, we, you know, I said this, I think before we have five generations on the state committee and you either, you know, we have different views on things, but ultimately we're all one team. And it was funny because the same person who was trying, who I told you uh, people wanted to censure, who also was, had a 20 year French seat and doesn't speak any French. He was also like, you know, with the chairs race, he said, we won, you lost, move on, like get over it. And I'm like, okay, we know we lost that race, but we still have to work together. What kind of, like, what kind of attitude is that? Why would I want to work with people who are just like, you need to listen to everything I say and your opinion doesn't matter. Um, and I'm not saying I don't, I have plenty of things to learn about politics, about Massachusetts, about Massachusetts politics, but I like to think I have some insight on, you know, youth, Democrat, Democratic youth, considering I'm a national officer in the Young Democrats of America. So I feel like I have, not saying I'm the authority, but I might have some perspective on, on how we can engage young people, um, especially, you know, so it's, it's just weird to me. And 
And I think the bigger thing, and I, I said this sort of at the beginning to, I said this more earlier at the beginning was that during this whole thing, you know, when it ended, I was thinking that night, I was like, this is why we need stronger leadership. Like we, this is to me so evident that our state party does not have strong leadership. And I'm and honestly not even putting it all on Gus. I'm talking about all the like chair, the vice chair, secretary, like treasurers, like we need stronger leadership because leadership would be saying, you know, wouldn't, to be frank, wouldn't even let this happen. Like they would be addressing this earlier. Um, and we're, we don't have strong leadership. We don't have strong leadership saying you can't act like this. You need to respect all of our members. We need to listen to our members. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that strong leadership will come down, not in my favor, um, which wouldn't be uh, unheard of. But <laughs> the, the point is, is that we need strong leadership to be handling this. And that, me that whole meeting was like, who's leading this party? Like that, that whole, the whole time I was thinking, who's leading this party? What solutions are they proposing to help us? What's the roadmap for how to bring us together? Because, you know, there are people, the, there's a group that's just like, our role is just to elect Democrats. And I'm like, okay, well, we have a supermajority. Now what? And if we have all this intergenerational issue, how are we going to solve that? And someone's like, well, what are your solutions? And I'm like, I'm happy to propose solutions. You're probably not going to like them, but I would like to think our leadership has some solutions that I could maybe edit <laughs> or offer or agree with, or say, you know, this might work better. Um, so it, it's just, to me, it just, there's an absence of leadership. We're, we're not seeing, and, and being a leader means you're going to have people who don't like you. There are people in YDA who don't like me, you know, like that's just part of leadership. That's part of being in a role, a position where you have like, I mean, to me, it's all fake power, but like, some fake power that someone deems important, <laughs> like, you know, on this, this, that we have some, some rules that we've constructed that give me some power. Again, to me, I don't really feel like I have any power, but, um, you know, it, part of being leadership means you're not, everyone's going to like you. It means having to make really tough decisions. It means having to do things that are really difficult and having tough conversations. And it's just, it's strange. It's upsetting to me that Massachusetts, this deep blue state seems to be unwilling to do that. We don't have leadership to step in to do that. We don't have, you know, a majority, apparently of the DSC willing to, to have those conversations. And maybe they do. And they were just being, you know, I was pretty silent on that meeting too. Maybe they're just being silent. Um, but it's, it's just really, it's disappointing. Um, and I don't understand how, you know, they, ex there's this expectation will just magically grow the party when, you know, you're alienating young people, when you're alienating people of color, when you're, or when you're alienating LGBT communities, when you're, when you're alienating new members. So it, it's just very, and I think it all comes down to people are trying to like really hold on to power. And again, I'm like, what power? Like, what is this? like we vote on some things, but like what power are we really holding on to? It, it's very strange to me. There is this mentality when you get into any political organization, and I think we've all been in enough democratic groups at this point in our lives to say this with some certainty, but there's this habit that people have of assuming that whatever group they are in is going to be the one that either does control the behind the scenes authority and whatever governmental entity they're trying to interact with, or it has the potential to so long as they are the ones who are in control of it. And I mean, it's an ego thing for most of them. And I think we've all been there to some degree. Um, there is a massive problem. I know I experience within Kansas democratic politics and I would be stunned if it was unique to us where a lot of the older membership for whatever else they may have the potential to bring 
and may, whatever else they may have done in their lives, really prefer to see these democratic structures as clubs. Um, and I mean, we're accused of that in YDA enough, and there is some accuracy to it, obviously. Um, but it is their circle, their friend group, and their hobby. And people who come in who they perceive as newer to it, who might be more ambitious with it, or might want to see it run in a way that they wouldn't are a threat to them. And for many of them, I really think it's a matter of they feel like if they aren't in control of it, that they're just not going to have something to do. And there is a fear of boredom to them. Um, that's exactly what's happening in Massachusetts. And I, I think that's why I'm in sort of a unique position because I don't work in politics. My livelihood is not politics. It's, it's an extracurricular activity for me. It's something I do in the side. So my, not just like my livelihood, but my, you know, I have a lot of professional interests that are really outside of politics. So aside from posting about Sparta, I post a lot about design. Like I, you know, so I think I just have a very different view of what this group should, you know, what this party should be about and, and how our meetings, you know, when we think about meetings or what we should be doing. And, um, and when you think about like for a lot of people, this is, this is a group of people they've known for over 20 years. This is a huge part of their social and political life. And some of them, a lot of them work in politics. So it's really important that they're part of this group. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it makes for a very strange dynamic and it's, it's really hard for me to watch maybe because I, um, you know, I work in corporate America and I work, I've always worked for corporations and it, it's just seeing certain behavior in certain management style. I'm like, this wouldn't fly. This is not how things are run. Um, again, I'm not claiming to be a perfect leader. I'm sure plenty of people could like write a whole email about, or not even an email, but like whole hour about how terrible I am in YDA, but um, you know, it, it's- Give them the opportunity, they'll try to. <laughs> but it's, you know, again, we're a very deep blue state. And I think we, you know, again, I think I said this last time growing up, I remember Massachusetts being a leader in a lot of ways. And it's weird to be a part of the state party where I feel like, why are we holding ourselves back? Why are we holding ourselves more accountable? Why aren't we doing more? And it, it's just tough to watch. But the fallout has been even more interesting. <laughs> I think this is where the more interesting part, part comes in. So um, I made a couple of Facebook posts and I, I really try not to do a lot of vague booking. Like I try to keep my YDA stuff pretty much like we had a great meeting or we had a bad meeting. Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, I try to keep it pretty, I don't think I've ever said we had a bad meeting. I usually say like that was nine hours and I put a gif of like, it's done, it's over kind of thing. So I think I put a couple, a couple Facebook posts. So the first one was around, I said, it's, um, it's not a good look when an older white man gives a thumbs down to a younger black man pointing out the systemic issues in our party. Um, which again is an optics, it was pointing out optics. I, maybe it's ageism, I don't think it is. It was just sort of stating the scene. Um, so there's a lot of drama happening on that. And I also pointed out that the DSC is really good. Our state party is really good at alienating younger and new members, which again, I'm friendly with a lot of the newer and younger members and they feel very alienated. They're like, why am I a part of this? Like, why am I a part of this, this body where I feel totally not welcome and um, not heard? And the funny thing is, is Robert's rules, the minority has given a lot of voice. So, there's like, so, so someone made a comment. Um, and okay, so there was that Facebook post. I had a Sparta Facebook post. Um, and then I'm, there was also someone accused me of trying to destroy the party, which I found really funny. Again, seeing as I am a national officer for the Young Democrats of America, for people who know me, as I was telling Seamus earlier, I am a very hardline Dem. I've 
Um, I've gotten slack from a lot of people who are big Bernie people because I've criticized, I criticized him on like a, or criticized him or his followers or something on like a radio segment I did where I basically said like, you can't call Elizabeth Warren a snake and then expect us to just support you. Like, um, but I'm a, I'm a very hardline Dem. Raise so your I'm hand like, if you've been uh, hit by Bernie supporters. <laughs> oh, this is an audio medium. So listeners, I think we all just raise our hands. Yeah. And so I, it's just really funny to me because um, apparently I'm trying to destroy the party when I, I, I just, I find it like my friends were laughing. They're like, if anyone knows you, you're, you're just like, defending it and always trying to help. And I still defend it. I would still defend the party. I, it's just like, you know, you can still defend the party while believing it's completely incompetent. <laughs> it's just the- well, I remember before he became like a huge person of like Justice Dems, I used to really follow Kyle Kolineski. Uh I used to always watch Secular Talk on YouTube. And he had a great line about this. And he says how goes into this whole idea of American exceptionalism, wherein a lot of Republicans believe, oh, America's great, never change anything. And then a lot of Democrats believe it has its problems in the way the example he gave is where it's like a parent with uh, someone of an addict, wherein you still love them and you want to try to make sure that they get better to this way that they can like move on and uh, do better for themselves in the future. And that's the way it is sort of many of us, like as Democratic activists, Yes, there are problems in our party, but we still like love the internal, the party itself. We mm-hmm. see there is things that need to be improved on. Yeah, and it's it's strange to me again, also because I think the most upsetting part is I think that the the DSC, especially Thursday night, got really bogged down by rules and procedure and whatnot, and we're losing sight of the bigger picture, which is we are alienating our core constituencies and there has been no plan shown of how we're gonna win them back. I have not seen any, first of all, there's been no public, real good public apologies, taking ownership of what happened. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether or not I think Gus, Veronica and Jim were cleared. Like we need account, our party needs, it can be from the party for all I care. Like we are sorry and here's how we're gonna fix it. And here's a plan of how we're gonna fix it. I have not seen that. And that's what you expect from leadership. And then my boyfriend just gave me a hard time. He's like, well, you were elected to this seat. You should offer the solution. <laughs> what solutions are you offering? So that's just what someone on Facebook was just accusing me of. And I was like, I had an initial solution, which is I think we need a new chair. Um, that didn't pan out, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I was ex- hoping leadership would have a solution. They've had two months, you know, they could come up with a roadmap um, and I haven't seen anything. So I guess it is on the newer and younger members to say, I guess we need a new solution. And I guess, I guess leadership's not going to do, there's going to be a vacuum. There's a, there's a vacuum of leadership and now means that younger and newer members are going to have to step up and provide those solutions. Cause it's very clear that the people who want to maintain the status quo of the party. And when I say status quo, I'm not saying like, this is nothing about policy. It's just what people believe we should be doing at these meetings and what people believe we should be doing in general um, are going to have to step up because it's clear that no one, everyone is putting the responsibility on someone else and they're saying it's someone else's job and it's not, it's the job of leadership. It's the leadership who needs to be guiding people and saying, here's what's going on. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to solve it. But there's still the, fo- I mean, I'm happy to go into some of the fog because it's, it goes back years. Like <laughs> well, we got some time. So if you want to give us a bit about the background, 
Yeah. So the first thing it's, I mean, I think the main thing that's going on, first of all, I was really proud of myself when I said someone's accusing me of trying to destroy the party and I'm an officer. And then I use that gif that says, I am the party. And I found that gif. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so I was very proud and of myself. <laughs> I, I loved my reply in there uh, to that, which was, you also have control of a space laser. <laughs> um, oh man. Anti-Semitism, man. <laughs> anyway. about <laughs> it. Um, so uh, I think I have to sort of give some background on this. So the person who I called out as doing a thumbs down, um, he, he does not like young Democrats in Massachusetts. And the reason why he does not like us is because I think it was three years ago. Um, he, uh, he, so three, this happened three years ago. Um, he is a big, he was a big supporter of a former state senator named Stan Rosenberg. Um, Stan Rosenberg was the state Senate president. Um, and he also is a gay man. And it was a big deal when he came out, he came out in office. Um, his husband, um, basically sexually harassed and assaulted, um, at least four men who happened to, I, from what I was told, cause I don't know who the victims were, um, members of the young Democrats in Massachusetts, um, so optically, just, you know, this, this all happened years ago. So, so Stan um, resigned, his husband was taken to court. I'm pretty sure he was found guilty um, or maybe it potentially ongoing, but it, he was guilty. So fast forward to a state convention um, and this, this person who's a big supporter of Stan was walking around with pins that said Stan on them, basically showing his support for this former state senator whose husband, again, sexually harassed and assaulted young, some young Democrats. Um, and keep in mind at these state conventions, like who are the volunteers? It's young Dems, <laughs> a lot of people volunteering or, you know, yeah. not always, but it's members of the DSC, you know, it's also, but it's a lot I, of I young I think that's people. the case in most states where in like young Dems are the foot soldiers. And then yeah. at the same time, we're also given the shaft. But I, I think what's, what's be anything else. and I think what's more upsetting is that from what I, again from what I was told because at the time I was the president of the Young Democrats of Massachusetts they're like there were people who were victims of Stan's husband at that state convention who saw people walking around wearing those Stan pins. I cannot imagine how painful it must have felt for those members who were at a Democratic state convention and seeing just reminders of their hurt and pain by other Democrats who were leader, who are, who are like, you know, this person also was running the LGBT subcommittee, like on the DSC. So like the hurt and pain, those, those, those victims felt. And the fact that members of the democratic state committee were wearing those pins was disgusting. So um, at the time I was president of Young Democrats Massachusetts. I was like, we should release a statement saying that this is like gross and unacceptable and just in a completely inappropriate behavior. So someone didn't like that. <laughs> the person who wore the pins, who made the pins, who was handing out the pins, was very upset by the statement that um, YDMA made. It was shared by the Bay State Stonewall Democrats. Um, they agreed with us that it was very un it was unacceptable behavior. This is three years ago. So in politics, my view is, is like everyone holds grudges forever. So <laughs> like people remember these things. So this person already doesn't like me, um, you know, and maybe he, he doesn't even know who I am, doesn't know I was in YDMA, but um, I know who he was because he was really angry about that statement. And I was really disgusted by the fact that 
Um, he was just completely dismissing the voices and pain of the victims of Stan's husband. Um, so he's now trolling me on Facebook for those interested. Uh, you can probably find him um, just commenting even on my Sparta post. Um, so <laughs> uh, I haven't really responded to anything because I think he's missing the point in a lot of things. But again, he's like, what solutions are you offering? What have you done? It's like, I'm pointing out that leadership should be offering solutions that we can then implement. <laughs> so quick question. These are all public posts, right? Everything's public. So uh, listeners, we're not, not telling you to go encounter troll. We are telling you that if you so choose and you are, you know, Facebook friends with Rebecca Pin or anything of that or nature. Or you just go to her page because these are all public posts. Then you may speak your mind. This is a public forum, of course, and there is no expectation of privacy. You have the right to express yourself as you see fit. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I told a friend, I was like, I'm going on this podcast where I'm going to talk about this. They're like, give them all you got. Like, yeah. get them to troll back. I was like, I don't know about that. Like, you're talking to me and Seamus, <laughs> and we are both sort of well known within our group of mutual acquaintances for how few fucks we give, um, and, and for being the, trolls. Like, and the people that are going to listen to us on the regular are the people that appreciate that about us. Uh, so yeah, you're you're safe coming and saying, "Hey, people are being stupid here on social media. Come and do something about them." Like, hey, I decided to drive out of my way just to go see the reoccupy Wall Street (laughs) protests that the New York Young Republican Club decided to do. And I honestly wanted to get out of my car, but I wasn't parked as fine. I shouldn't have been with my hazards on, you know, stopped actually. But um, I would have gone up there and be like, you know, it's so cute. You're able to get 20 people here. Good job, guys. (laughs) I mean, it's. It's, I mean, I haven't responded to anything. Like, I'm going to be real with people. Like, I, I've been pretty bored during COVID. Like, there's not much to do. So Facebook has been, like, kind of entertaining. Like, it's, it's something to during do. During COVID, Ben, we don't know anything about that, do we? No, no. I mean, what, what would you do if you were bored and stuck inside all the time and stuck communicating? I definitely people? would not start a podcast or a political <laughs> action committee. Anyway, so so that's happening on my Facebook page at the moment. And it's like, I feel kind of bad even responding. Like, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, you're just missing every point I'm trying to make. And with satirism, like, we're, we're both Democrats. We're, in theory, trying to make the Democratic Party stronger. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. I want to make sure that, you know, right now we are five generations. And I want to make sure that the next generation wants to be a part of this party and fight for this party and give their time and resources to this party and the direction we're going in Massachusetts, I'm really worried that's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's just really insane how people are not understanding that you, you know, by alienating young people, we're really screwing ourselves over for the future. Um, and I'm not saying this, you know, again, I've been accused of ageism for the last two multiple meetings. Um, there are a lot of older members who are wonderful, who are really supportive and progressive and want to listen and want to collaborate. Um, it's, I think what I'm, you know, I think like what I'm upset about is members with no accountability and members who are really trying to stifle any change and trying to silence people from wanting to share ideas. Like ultimately, like we're trying to improve the party. Um, and, you know, to be also frank, there are younger members who I'm just like, you are not helping the situation. <laughs> like, you're, like you are upholding the status quo that is, is not going to want people to, who, that's not going to bring people in. And again, 
all of this it's doing, all that's ended up happening is this group that's really trying to hold on to its power. It's making them irrelevant, which means that all power we have is useless. You know, if, if you have a re- like, I think about Wisconsin as a really strong state party, um, and it makes their party by being really relevant and by being current and doing innovative things, it makes your party stronger. And it makes, you know, if all you care about is power by you being innovative and I, when I say innovative, like not even, again, this is not policy related, but inclusive and innovative and really thinking about how you can strengthen the party, it makes your own power more meaningful. It makes you more powerful. So if all you care about is power, like you should want to stay relevant. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about. It's, it's, like a, it's like a movie star. If you don't bring in a box office draw, you're, you're not, you don't have any power anymore. So it's well, just crazy to me. Well, I remember there was a great um, episode. It was like done in front of a live audience of Adam Ruins Everything just for the 2016 election. And it goes into basically people really going basically is Adam Conover coming to the defense of Hillary Clinton. That's the TLDR. But a lot of it really went into the minutia of just politics as it's developed and how a lot of elected officials, they realize that they need to get reelected. So maybe they should try to change their policies and also adapt to the changing times. And I'll be honest, like I myself have been a little slow on some things, but you know, you know, it's more of just some of it is I have not seen good arguments, you know, and, but the example he gave heavily was on LBJ who early on in his career, he was a segregationist, but then like, basically he started to see times were changing. People were embracing civil rights. He's like, I got to get myself reelected to the Senate. And of course he is the guy who got us the voting rights act and civil rights act. Yeah, it's what's crazy to me is like, we're not even talking about policy. Like, mm-hmm. we're talking about how can we run our, how can we run the Democratic State mm-hmm. Committee to be more inclusive, to be intersectional, to be intergenerational, mm-hmm. to, to basically recognize the fact that we have some systemic issues that are silencing people that are like, it's just, it's again, I mean, I guess it's policy to a certain extent, but it's like, you know, the younger and younger generations are increasingly intersectional, are increasingly like really aware of these issues and how everything's very interconnected. And it's, I don't know, it's just strange to me how the, how people are fighting it so hard. Um, and, you know, what ended up happening is we're, we're, we're taking these like few steps. And to me, I'm like, they're help a little bit, but I don't know if they'll help a lot. Like we're going to have a completely optional meeting um, in a few weeks to discuss, that's going to be facilitated by a professional to discuss the, the, the homophobia in the party and the fallout of the CD1 scandal. And literally someone who was like shaking his head at everything that was going on from the younger members and, and people of color, they're saying like, who are saying like, we need to address this stuff. He's like, well, I'm not going to be there. He's like, I'm not going to go there. And it's like, because like someone commented like the people who really need to be there if it's optional are not going to show up and he's like like me it's like it's just sad again and this is all on zoom publicly like you know i was talking to someone else they're like why they're like i don't want to be associated with a group of people who act like this you know adults who are so dismissive of the fact that maybe they have something to learn that maybe that their their way of thinking or their view on something needs to change it's it's not like it, it's just really hard to to want to be a part like i don't who wants to be part of a group that's associated with just such like deep toxic behavior like that? And, and 
I recognize the irony because I think a lot of people feel like there's a lot of toxic behavior in YDA and it's hard for me because as a national officer, I'm sort of both in and out of it. But, you know, I know when I joined YDMA, like there was a lot of accusations about toxicity and, and we changed it. And I feel like our, you know, YDMA, it was one of the things I was really proud of was that over the two years I was president was that it became a much more welcoming, inclusive group. People felt really supportive and it's still very much like that where, um, like I was talking to, to Leslie, who's amazing. And he was like, we need to start using Robert's rules in our meetings, not because we were trying to stifle anyone, but so we can use it as a learning opportunity. So like, we can all learn Robert's rules together. Um, you know, we can break them to make sure everyone's being heard, but like, let's use our meetings to use Robert's rules so that we can all get better at Robert's rules. Like, you know, it, it, to me, that's like such a wonderful, positive way of thinking about it and running a meeting um, and just being like, how do we bring in more people who are some amazing people we can bring in? Um, so there's just, you know, it's weird to me to be part of a group, you know, especially the Democratic State Committee, where it's refusing to see like, you know, issues and refusing to address them. And I don't know, there's just like, some, have some self-awareness that maybe we need to like, look at ourselves and think about how can we do better, but there's just, it's just total lack of it. And um, this isn't going to be ageist of me. It's like coming from dudes. I'm like, I, I just don't quite frankly, like, <laughs> When older men like tell me to like shut it down, I just, I, I'm like, I can't listen to you. Like, I don't need an older white guy yelling at me about something when I'm like, I just, I, I just turn off. Like, it's just not, I don't know. And then, oh my God, it's just, ugh, sorry. Now memories of that meeting are coming back. <laughs> this is a, this is a place to vent. We're all like-minded enough that you're going to find some sympathetic ears here. So we've all got our own stories like that. Yeah, so I'm, ho I'm hoping that, I mean, I know we're taking some actions, but they're all very small. They're all very optional. And I'm not sure they're really hitting at the systemic issues. And again, we're a body of 430 people. We're not gonna come up collectively with a solution. Like we're not gonna have a four hour meeting and come up with a solution. Again, I believe leadership needs to lay out a roadmap and steps you know, it's like an executive order sometimes, like a roadmap and sets of like, here's the problems and here's what we're going to do. And I think the big issue is, is like, we don't even agree on what the problem is. Um, it's, it's hard to come up with solutions when the group of people doesn't even agree on what the problem is. And you have some folks who are like, this is a problem. And some folks saying, nope, not a problem at all. I don't know what you're talking about. You're the problem because you're being disruptive. I mean, that's basically what's happening. And uh, it, you know, again, we need leadership to step in and say, no, this is a problem and we will address it. And here's how we're going to address it. And everyone needs to take part in this. I don't know if that's going to be a popular solution. I don't know if it's going to go over and I don't know if leadership's going to do it. I need to talk to them, but. Um, I think the problem with getting people on board with that is that what you're proposing is a solution where people actually work together and find something real as opposed to establishing dominance. <laughs> I've never been in one of these organizations as much as I love them where there wasn't an undercurrent of people wanting to make sure that they were seen as being the king of the hill so to speak when they are trying to get their point across when they're trying to get their issue forward I mean some of the absolute worst messengers even when they maybe occasionally stand for good things come up and they're not going to get anything done because they want that feeling that I am the person who made this happen. I am the, you know, leader who bowled down the people that actually hold titles 
occasionally they also hold the titles themselves and they want to make sure that people understand that and don't question them. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's sort of a bigger issue with just the nature of organizational politics that Lord knows we're probably not going to get a solution to anytime soon. But yeah, I mean, as long as it's politics, it's going to have a ton of ego, a ton of entitlement. I also don't think what people recognize what leadership means. Nope. I, I think they think leadership means you can run a good meeting. And I'm like, no, leadership, again, is making really tough decisions, having really tough conversations, uh, listening to people, creating you know, a vision and a strategy. I have no fucking clue what the vision of our party is. None. I don't know what our vision is. I keep being told that the vision is we elect Democrats. And I'm like, okay, we achieved the vision. So it's our next one. Like, <laughs> like we have a super majority in our state, in our state legislature. We have of the 40 state senators, three are Republican. Um, yeah, we have a Republican governor. Hopefully we can beat him at this point. Like who knows, given the, the state of the party, but like, I don't need, like leadership is about, again, like I just said, and setting the vision and the strategy. And I, I'm just not seeing that. And it's so disappointing. And yeah, COVID screwed things up, but like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> like, I need to see that vision. Like, I need to know what's going on. I need to know how we're distributing resources. I need to know how you're going to like, how we're going to plan and come back from the fact that we had this massively homophobic scandal that made everyone look bad. There was no, there was no saviors in this story. There was no one who looked good. Everyone at different parts was guilty and all of them are Democrats. So how are we going to fix this? Um, I'm just not seeing any of that. And, and that's what I expect from leadership. And I just don't understand how other people find it acceptable that we're not seeing this. That, that's what really gets me. It's like people just not understand, like accepting mediocrity. That, that's really, I think, what's getting to me. I have nothing profound to say other than, you know, more of, yeah, definitely experienced a lot of that because there's just something endemic about these problems within not only the internal workings of the Democratic Party, I think politics in general. I mean, hell, I could go back to being in student government in college and seeing the same sort of thing. People, when they get in that room, have all these bizarre little sub motivations besides just what the mission of it is supposed to be about. And they let those dominate and they defeat the purpose of whatever it is they're doing. Um, you know, to me, leadership is somebody that can do all of the things that we described at once. One, some of it is running a good meeting um, because there's that expectation that people can all be seen working together. There is making those. But that's like a guy saying, but I'm nice. Yeah. When he gets angry that girls won't date him. Really and it's, it's literally money. saying, but I'm nice. I'm like, okay, you, you're, you have human decency. What else do you have to offer in a relationship? I'm not saying <laughs> like, that just yet. It's, such a, it's such a low it. bar. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that's just it. I'm saying that's a component of it. I'm kind of starting to say it's all supposed to go together. And too many of these people really do not understand that you have to do all of this at once. They want to have their one good thing that they think that they're good at, they can focus on say this is what my tenure in power is going to be about and hope everyone just sort of rolls with that. Um, I know in Kansas, we have this massive issue with people who hold higher positions of leadership who are consistently obsessed with the idea that the one thing that they need to do as leaders is fundraising. That is all that leadership is and that it ends there. And anything else that has to do with organization or promotion of the organization and its causes is somebody else's job. And it doesn't even matter what their title is. 
they will forego any other responsibility, even if it's there in the bylaws, to say, but I'm good at fundraising, even when they're not. And that's just our example, um, though I'm sure you've heard a little bit about that before. Well, this whole conversation is making me like really question if I've been a decent secretary in YDA. <laughs> you've been a phenomenal secretary in YDA. <laughs> but like, it's, it's been making me, I'm like, am I doing my, my constituency or our members? I mean, a lot of what I do is send out emails and stuff and keep notes. And um, I mean, there's other things I think happen behind the scenes that I think, I know recently the officers had like a really tough conversation about anti-Semitism and it was a really important conversation and we had it. And, um, but again, it's, you know, you raise it, like what ended up happening was an issue is raised from the Jewish national officers and then people listen. And it was a good, it was a productive conversation. And so it, all, everything worked out. Everything was fine. By the way, just no one in, none of the national officers are anti-Semitic. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> it, was, it was more like the broader, it was more like the broader what's happening. You know, there's just a lot of anti-Semitism happening, unfortunately, right now. So with that, I, I, I had a lot of conversations with some of the members of national leadership about that that day. Um, and I mean, there was no real place where the intentions were bad, just a lot of lack of understanding that people needed to listen one of the nice things about this group of people is that enough of us are friendly with each other that we were able to have that discussion without anything too shady happening. That's, you know, even in YDA, we still- I don't hold. think there was anything, nothing even shady. Like I had, I had some really productive conversations where I was like, here's how I feel. Here's why I feel it. Like this is, this is, goes back to this. So, you know, anyway, it's kind of off topic, but like, you know, that's what leadership is. You're having these tough conversations mm -hmm. and our leaders were really receptive to hearing what I had to say. And I appreciated that. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't trying to make this all about me, but let's be real. I'm pretty much yes, so. <laughs> yeah. Literally why you get to come on the show is, is to talk about stuff you're doing. So, but I mean, I mean, the, the whole thing is making me feel like, what am I doing in that? Like, it makes me think about reflecting on my, my own leadership skills in YDA and even YDMA. Um, but even YMA, like, you know, I had to have some tough conversations with people and it was a volunteer thing as a part-time thing. Um, but I had to have tough conversations with people. I had to, you know, a lot of it's, a lot of being leadership, a lot of leadership is people management. It's, you know, so it's just weird to me that our party again, and this is, I, I want to say this again, this is not just on Gus. He has vice chairs, there's a secretary, there's treasurers, there's, there's a group of leadership. There's also an executive committee of like 40 people. These are the leaders of our party. I expect a lot from them, but specifically the leadership who's been voted on in term, not appointed. So the subcommittee chairs are all appointed. I'm like the elected leadership. I hold you in high standard. You've been elected by this body to lead us. I wanna see vision. I wanna see strategy. I wanna see, we have these huge issues. You, this meeting just really illuminated this, these really deep issues this party has. How are we gonna fix this? Like, how are we gonna root out this infection? Because it, it's just very, I'm just not seeing that. And what makes me terrified is I'm like, if Massachusetts, a deep blue state, can't get our shit together, what are other states doing? Like, <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of states are having the same troubles that you are. It's, I think it might seem more pronounced because you're a blue state and you should be in the position where you can go ahead and start just enacting the core, you know, the heart of what the Democratic Party is about. People, in some ways, are consistently terrible everywhere, so... <laughs> Well, and then, you know, someone told me like, Rebecca, when you're, when you're older, when you're in your sixties, when you're in the part involved in the party, I was like, 
okay, hold on. I don't know if I'm going to be involved in this in my 60s, but like, you're going to say, oh, those young kids. And I'm like, I'd like to think, and one of the things I'm re- I really try to think about is like, how can I be a good mentor? Like when I, I mean, Leslie, if he listens to this at all, can call me out on it. But like, I was talking, when Leslie was elected president of YDMA, like I made a really, I, I try to think about like, I want to make sure I don't, t- I know me. If I don't like how things are going, I try and take over. So how do I make sure I'm not doing that with Leslie? You know, he's president that he establishes that he's in charge. You know, we had our one-on-ones, but I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not going to come to every meeting because I need to, I need to separate myself. I think it's good for the, the body if I separate myself. Um, I don't know. I just, it, it's just really weird. I, I like to think maybe I'll, maybe I'll say those darn kids when I'm older, but like, I don't know. I don't feel like it's ageism. If you're pointing out like homophobia and racism, <laughs> I just don't feel no. like <laughs> Like, I just, I'm sorry. Like, I'm. If your generation, if homophobia, if racism, if all those forms of bigotry are just such a core part of what your generation is about, then there is probably a bigger issue with your generation, not with people. Yeah. Like, when you're an active Democrat, even if you're not the most far left person, you are to some degree supposed to believe in societal progress and in social justice and if you're going to push back against that or if you find yourself pushing back against what people see that as there is a very good chance that you have gotten something horrendously wrong i mean i hate to come out and say just people need to check their privilege because that's become kind of a cliche but people need to check their damn privilege a bit more often because so many times they should be the ones who understand when they are off base on something when they have something that they still need to be educated on and they are just too damn stubborn to admit it. it it's, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. and I, the other thing I think that's hard for me to understand and see is that I, at my office at work, um, I'm super, I, I have a manager, but I also manage someone. And I take that mentor, like I view myself as a mentor to her and I take it very seriously. And, you know, being a good mentor means supporting that person, hearing what they have to say, give, make sure they have opportunities to like really thrive. So it's funny to me when people are like, you don't what about what about mentorship whatever happened to mentorship i'm like you just telling me what you want me to vote on is not mentorship <laughs> like, like mentorship is a it's it's about not only instilling a lot of the institutional wisdom you have and and your experience and it's also providing opportunities for your mentee it's making sure that they have the opportunity to learn and grow and you helping oversee that and being that safety net for them so it's funny because that word gets thrown around at me a lot about like you're being ageist, whatever happened in mentorship. And I'm like, I don't think people know what mentorship even means in this party. So it's, it's, it's just very, and again, like I, I look at young Dems and I, when I, it's the crazy thing to me is I posted some of this stuff on Facebook and the, the, you know, I have a lot of friends on Facebook from all over the country. And a lot of them saying, we're dealing with the same thing in our state. We're dealing with the same thing in our state. Like, this is clearly a huge issue. And so um, I know Josh has talked about this too, but like, how do we deal with this on the DNC level? Because if it's happening on a local level, it's obviously trickling up to the DNC. Because as I said before, all these state committees, when they vote for their DNC reps, who are they going to vote for? Their friend they've known for 20 plus years, <laughs> who, who they think is a good, good person, they're going to vote them on. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's the same issues we're probably having on the national level. And so, you know, what, what do we do? Like, what do we, like, what can we do? Yeah, like, I I know, at least, I'm sure the same thing's happening with Ben, but my home uh, state of New York, like, we had the debate t- uh, just about a year ago, you know, two years ago, almost, year and a half, 
uh, about uh, degendering our party. And there was one person who was vehemently against it. And basically, he was called out regularly. It was exactly one nay vote on the whole matter. And he was called out completely for being transphobic. Uh, And then there's... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, and then uh, on my more local party with the Brooklyn Democratic Party, you know, it was a big issue for us, like on trying to degender our party. And then to give, they worked very slowly on it, but it got to a point where they decided, okay, let's create a task force to investigate it. Overwhelmingly, people were, uh, came out in uh, favor of it. Like I submitted testimony saying, you know, definitely do this. And even the people that were on there that were much more hesitant, they ended up coming over. So it's one of those areas where part of it, I think, is trying to be, I don't want to say like the leadership has to come from like the younger people speaking truth to power, but it's almost like that in many ways. There is. I I know you're talking about about degendering the party. I mean, that's something that we currently have uh, in the works within the Kansas Dems. and of course, that's just one example. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sort of anticipating at least some degree of similar pushback. I mean, I think most of it is going to pass. I I already have in my head like the people just within my state committee who are going to come up and try to get cute with whatever changes there are. Some of them less because of any phobias they have, and more because it's another opportunity to hear themselves talk, and they're in love with that. Um, but we're all. I well- mean, that's Democrats. Yeah, we're we're just a bunch of very loud cats. Like we're just. I can't, we, you know, I can't get on a podcast that uh, has my name in the title and get too pissy with the idea that some people just love hearing themselves talk, um, because again, it's a podcast that partially has my name in it. Um, and your idea. Um, I'm very very guilty of it at times. Thankfully, not in a context where we're actually making policy. Mostly where we're just bringing in our friends and being smart asses. <laughs> but I mean, that just so that, that's just going to come up constantly, and it's a massive cultural issue. At least within the Democratic Party, I have no doubt that it extends further out from us. Um, but I mean, there. Are, at the same time, we like to snark on it, but it can lead to it can lead to real damage, because I know so many people that I've talked to about getting involved politically before that will come to one or two meetings, see the sort of esoteric stuff that we like to go after each other for and how we do it, and will be turned off from it completely. And they'll wonder how can I take this organization and the Democratic Party in all of its forms is still very much an organization. They'll wonder why would I put my time into this? How can I trust it to do all these things? Which you know leads to this just horrendous snowball effect of less people being involved, which means less people promoting our messages, which means less votes and less success, and we become so in love with talking in circles around each other that we don't accomplish anything. Um, I have a minor Facebook update. As someone just texted me, they said this person is, and I quote, "off his fucking rockers on Rebecca's status." <laughs> so- <laughs> So um, it's pretty entertaining, apparently. I haven't looked at it. Um, a part of me, like, you know, I respond to stuff. Another part of me is like, who cares? Like, like yeah. just... <laughs> You have to really be smart about the balance there because 
I, I mean, I know the temptation well to just get into it when people are coming and being stupid and running their mouths on social media. And then occasionally you have to take a deep breath and remember it's probably one person who just really, really loves to be heard doing this because they know they're getting a response. I, I mean, have, if he goes well, there was his... one person that I'm thinking of that you end up having to do something uh, ex, uh, outside of Facebook about. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about that. Uh, for Rebecca's sake and any of our listeners, I had an instance um, over the last couple of months off and on where just some rando from high school, the scourge of everyone's social media, who was unhappy about the ascendance of Joe Biden, uh, would periodically get on just my Facebook posts and start trolling them. And it got to the point where he started saying some weirdly sexist stuff about he's very certain that Michelle Obama is biologically male and likes to say that a lot. Uh, and then started getting really anti-Semitic both, you know, on my post and when he would send me direct messages. And I will tell you, I took screenshots of all of those emailed his place of employment with them because he had it all up on his Facebook profile and I haven't heard from him since. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they just told him to shut the hell up on social media or if they actually suspended him or anything. And I don't care at this point. I uh, did what well, I needed for to me. Do. I was, I was start, I actually found his phone number. I was going to prank call him or, you know, actually not even. <laughs> prank call. Gonna, oh, no, see, no, see, I he am a tool. Going. He gets going. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. I found his number because I started asking him questions. Like for instance, he was calling and Joe Biden a pad file. I'm like, Hold on, which presidential candidate would go into women's dressing rooms when they are in various states of undress? And like, I'd ask him all of these other questions. He wouldn't respond. And I was like, you know, John, I'm going to give his first name, John. Like, are you okay? Like, you know, is everything? And then finally, when he shows back up, uh, I'm like, oh, you're better. Great. Uh, you know, maybe you can finally answer my questions. You know, if you're busy or something, it's fine. You know, I'll give you a call. Yours is the, and I gave, found his phone number because internet, you know, you can find anything. Yep. Found for, for last four digits. I was like, yours is this number, right? Never heard back. I was this close to calling him until Ben interceded. I, I like I said, I feel like for the moment I've done what I needed to do. Um, if, there's also for me a tipping point when somebody is just being that obnoxious on social media, unless I find it truly harmful. Like, you know, when I felt the need to share what this guy was doing with his employer, um, there's a point where I just stop trying to reason with them because I know being reasonable isn't the purpose of what they're doing. And I'm just going to resort to snark. And there are many. That's what Reddit is for. I'm a big Redditor. Um, <laughs> Redditor is for that anonymous sparkiness. for destroying the stock market. It's for a lot of things. <laughs> Delightful. Um, I've never actually been a Redditor. Uh, I've never gotten into it, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like for me, it's, you know, I used to, I think when I was younger, have a lot of these fights, but part of me is just like, I'm just, I was telling this to Josh the other day, like, I'm just so mentally exhausted. Like I have a demanding job. And then I have this like four and a half hour DSC meeting that just totally drains me. And then I like to post pictures of my cat. <laughs> like I just, like I, love I, photos of Sparta. I mean, everyone loves Sparta, but- um, what you uh, say. We, all, we love Sparta and we love manhole. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, oh man, what are we gonna do? And the funny thing is, again, people were like, Rebecca, you're trying to destroy the party. Or one person said that, but I'm like, 
you really don't know me. Like if you think that my goal is to like be a bomb thrower to the Democratic Party, you don't understand how how hard I work and try to change from within. I'm a big believer in like, how do we change the party from within to make the changes it needs to stay relevant, to, to have more outreach, to do more. And it's just, it's tough. It's just it, when, when so many inter- folks internally are just trying to stop it from happening. So I'm just going to end with this. The person who I'm pretty sure you're referring to has been trolling you. I found his Facebook, his profile. Like I'm getting like, um, who's the serial killer in Psycho? What's his name? Norman Bates, Norman Bates. vibes from him. Yeah, I'm getting Norman Bates vibes from him. Like just the profile photo. Just the way he's look, looking. Yeah, he, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I've never really had a conversation with him. I he. I just know he doesn't like what... YDMA was very against those pins. He didn't like that. He's apparently against this pin. So, I mean, it's just, that was a good pun. Um, so he, yeah, um, he's going after, he's going after me on Facebook and it's just like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? You know, there is a point when somebody is being that egregiously stupid that you've just got to throw all fucks to the wind and Sometimes you can just let it fly. I know you probably don't want to because there can be blowback to that, but it is awfully cathartic. So I do want to, as I know you guys wanted to end it soon. I want to end on a positive note. Okay. So I think what's, and I said this earlier, I think it's amazing about Zoom is that these meetings have been, all these DSC meetings have been more transparent, have been more accessible, have more people understanding the process. And in combination We've had more new members, younger members, people of color, LGBT members, like who are able to raise these issues in the DSC. Like, yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, it's embarrassing. And yeah, it's hard. But if we didn't have those voices speaking up in these meetings, we wouldn't even be able to address those issues. So I was really impressed and proud of all the people who spoke up for their communities, for themselves at the meeting um, publicly and and said really hard truths that people needed to hear. And I think it's, it's the first step. It's, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's one of many steps that have been taken, but I think it's, I think it's important to note that as, as awful and as embarrassing it is, it's better that we have these things come to light that, so we can fix them um, and we can work to them and expose, you know, have them exposed so we can fix them and work at them. than again, just complete silence and just, you know, allowing, you know, bad behavior. And I say bad behavior, like bad behavior in these calls to happen. So what gives me some hope is that this meeting was unlike, from what I've told from other meetings, other meetings I've been to, was unlike other meetings. And I think it's because of the combination of the accessibility and transparency that Zoom's provided and all these new members who are like, we're not going to allow this kind of bad behavior to keep happening. So that gives me some some hope for the for the future. Yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds like a great stopping point with that. Well, th- Rebecca, thanks again for coming on. You know, I'm sure when there's an update, you're going to come back on, you know, as and become like this baby become like a regular segment or something <laughs> i don't know if anyone cares whenever i whenever i message the yda national officers are like your party sounds interesting and i'm like mm-hmm. okay you guys are done hearing about this but if you'll I'm let me vent, you, it feels very good like they've all just got similar things in mind and they're probably just their minds are just going back to those and they're getting pissed off about that on their own you're just the one that's been willing to go and get up and talk about it because really what the hell else can you do? I've been trapped inside. I'm terrified of going outside for too long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, 
Campbell and Cohen's cookie quarantine has been in production of Dog Pack. This communication is not produced authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Donations are not deductible for any federal income tax purposes. Our theme music is produced by Alexander Nakamura. I've been Seamus Campbell. I've been Ben Cohen. And we've been joined by Rebecca Pinn. Thanks again, Rebecca. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and stay safe. <laughs>